I want to introduce Matt to you. He's a highly energetic rock drummer, producer, songwriter, and singer that is constantly working. He's been playing with the legendary Kiss guitarist Ace Freely over the past several years, and has toured with Mr. Big, has done sessions for a long list of producers. He's also an educator, a consultant, and a motivational speaker. And here to talk about navigating the music industry as a hired gun, joining us today from Connecticut, please welcome Mr. Matt Starr. Woo! <laughs> Hello. Hey. Matt, I love watching you playing, man. You have such a drive and such an enthusiasm, and you just hit the drums with total force in every note. That was the first thing I realized when I was taking lessons from a teacher, and then I went to see a band play live, and drummer hit the drums, a rock band, and he hit the drums so hard, and I was like, oh, you can do that? <laughs> you know? And I discovered the rim shot, and then from there, it's just away we go. Oh, all hell breaks out loose at that point. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> so you got to tell me about it. I want everyone to kind of understand with a lot of these interviews, I want them to get more of the background of yourself. You're from Connecticut. You yep. started playing. What got you involved in music? And was drums came later on. I believe guitar was probably your first instrument, right? Guitar was my was my first. Uh, was That was my idea. So I'm seven, eight years old. Uh, I got a neighbor up the street, Scott Gabala. I keep mentioning his name. I haven't seen him in 40 years. Uh, he had a bunch of records, and he had a Kiss album, Kiss Alive 2. I opened it up. It's their stage from 1977. There's flames and sparks and these guys on this stage. And I just I just had a feeling when I saw that that I'd never had that feeling before, and I never had it since. And, you know, I can look back now and realize, like, I realized what I was here to do. But I just wanted to be in that world with those guys. I wanted to be on that stage. But when those risers came down and the fire went away, I wanted to just walk off with them and go do whatever they did. And I didn't know what it was they did. But I just was mesmerized. Yeah, here I am. And look, this isn't Halloween. This is like a Tuesday. You know what I mean? So just absolute obsession. And um, I had asked my parents to get me a guitar for – uh, Christmas one year, I found it in the J.C. Penny catalog, which is like the analog Amazon. It's like back in the day. <laughs> and um, but they didn't get me a guitar, and I was all bummed out. And my mom said, "Well, why don't you play drums? You know, you could play in the school band." And so that in sixth grade, I don't know how old I was, but in sixth grade, that's when I first picked up sticks and started hitting drums. So at that point, you started hitting drums. You're playing. You're you're influenced by the band. First of all, the fact that you were inspired by Kiss. And then eventually in time, go back and you're playing with Ace Freely and Gene Simmons. This has got to be the full cycle dream come true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really humbling. And, you know, I get like, well, the, the little kid in you must be freaking out. And, and I've thought about that. The kid in me is not freaking out because the kid in me goes, well, no, this is what we do, right? We, we pretend we're playing with them and then we're, we're going to – the adult is more likely to go, the odds of this are just you – know, <laughs> astronomical so how many millions of kids pretended they were playing along you know with the guys in kiss and then how many actually get to do that and get paid to do that so um but that brings gratitude and humility rather than you know the excitement you know it's just it's a really good feeling which is something i wouldn't have had when I'm, i was younger so i'm glad it it took a while to manifest well, the fact that you had that dream and you had that strong desire and you had that passion that you want to do it. Listen, I had, when I was younger, 
I dreamt on going out on a date with Raquel Welsh. That still has never happened. Sure. So it doesn't always happen is what it comes down to. Right. How do you figure, why do you think it did happen? Well, you know, I mean, again, if you ask the adult me, it's like, what are the odds? Why did it happen? I don't know. But you ask the little kid of me, it's like, because I knew it was going to happen. You know, and, and I didn't, and I think the thing that, it really stands out to me and when I think about this is the kid didn't know that it was a long shot. Yeah. The kid just said that, you know, like my daughter, she was four. We were at a carnival in Malibu. We spent like 150 bucks on tickets when all these rides and they wanted to go on more rides. She goes, I want to go on more rides. I go, well, honey, that's it for the tickets. And she started getting upset. I go, look, if you want to go on another ride, look for tickets. She's like, where? I go, well, they're red and they're on the, there's sometimes they're on the ground. <laughs> in two minutes, she had found 15 tickets. And I'm like, that's, that's, how did that work? Why did she find the, t I don't know, but like, that's what I've seen repeatedly in my life. And, you know, through my coaching work that I do with people, if they just kind of almost put the blinders on and just go, what do you want? What would be the next action? Do that. Let the universe take care of the rest. You know, that's uh, a book that was written by Wayne Dyer called The Power of Intention. Mm -hmm. Intention is important. There's also a book called The Secret, which talks just about that. When you put in your mind the vision into the universe of just the thought, thought has energy. Right. And that thought has energy goes out to the universe and it aligns you up with whatever that dream is. It seems like you are a great example of what that came down to. I wasn't for a long time. I, I was, you know, probably the first 35 years of my life I had, I, I had the clarity. I knew what I wanted to do and I had the desire and I, I had the ability. I wasn't the world's greatest drummer, but like you put me in the situation, I'll get the job done. I know how to do that, but it didn't happen for me for a very long time. And that was really confusing and frustrating and kind of made me think that, that I make the wrong decision for my life. And I became willing and, um, I had to walk through some stuff, you know, some really uncomfortable stuff. But that's where I gained the humility and the gratitude and how do I be of service rather than I want to get a gig. No, I want to help you. You, If I have something to offer, you let me know what that is and I will show up and, and present it and do the best I can. So that's when everything kind of changed for me, you know. And I, I think the one piece of the secret that I when I, when I first heard about that, I I, I, it's so great, and it's so great that it's in our popular culture that it's not some see actual secret. You know what I mean? Like people can talk about it openly. Um, you know the the intent, but then it has to be followed with action. Yeah. And I think either the people that thought it was nonsense, or the people that believed it thought like, oh, you just need to think about it, and it'll happen. It's like, well, sometimes, but usually, it needs to be followed with action, and then let go of the results, which seems crazy but i i equate it to baking a cake you get the directions get you know you make it you put the ingredients you have to take the action then you put it in the oven you don't check you don't keep open in the oven just go do something for 35 minutes or whatever it is and come back and just know that that it'll it'll come to fruition so that's there's like a lot of little steps in there and and uh but i've had the pleasure of watching other people actually do that in their lives and go, this is, this is real. I can't explain why, but it's, it's real. And I know you've seen the same thing, you know? Really amazing. Well, just so you know, I haven't given up on my dream on taking Raquel Welch on a date. So that's, oh, that's 
kind of, that's still kind of out there, just so you know. <laughs> that's going to happen. You just, you just put it out there again. And how many people are watching? Put it out there. Just picture Dom in the next post next to Raquel. <laughs> so you're playing drums. You're, were you starting to meet different musicians? Were you hanging out with different players when you were young in the beginning stages? No, you know, I grew up, I mean, I, there was four guys in our high school that had long hair and we all had a band. Um, so it was a small town in Connecticut and I think that was, uh, so we had each other and then some of the guys moved to LA and, um, and I stayed and started playing in, with a band regionally. They're called run 21. So like Stet Howland who went on to play with Wasp and some other bands, he was the original drummer in that. And then, um, Doug Blair also went on to play with Wasp for some reason, run 21 was like a, a starting ground for Wasp. But, um, but I didn't really know guys that were successful, you know, and I think between my parents supporting me and loving me, but being scared to death that I was going to be homeless yeah. because they could, all they knew was Mick Jagger, right? So if you're not going to be Mick Jagger, how are you going to support yourself and make a living, you know? And then my guidance counselor trying to get me into a school, which, you know, probably about half of the guys that I know that we all know uh, who play music for a living with name bands, about half of them are formally educated and then half of them are self-taught. So I don't have an opinion one way or the other, but for me, I just wanted to play. And so I didn't have that support. I didn't have a guy or a woman who was really doing it and going, look, if you want to do it, you've got to take it seriously and really treat it like a, like a job. It's the coolest job in the world, but you've got to look at it like a job. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of just trying to do it on my own, you know? So at that point, you're learning, you're playing with different musicians. You know, were you taking lessons at all? Was there kind of like a, you know, were you being influenced by other drummers that they were playing? Were there role models that you had or idols? How was that all working for you? You're just the learning process. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, uh, again, I was like seven, eight when I first got this rock and roll bug. So it was uh, Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick, Phil Rudd from ACDC, Joey Kramer from Aerosmith, Clyde Burr from Iron Maiden. And those were kind of my nucleus of drummers. And then I saw, a few years later, saw Tommy Lee. I saw a Motley Crue video. And I mean, to this day, he's one of the most natural, gifted. His arms are just beautiful. The way he hits those cymbals, it's just, it's gorgeous, you know? And I just thought like, whoa. You know, I was already playing drums. But when I saw this guy, I'm like, I got, I got some, I got some work to do. And, um, and his compositions were always great too. It's really powerful drumming. So that those were kind of the guys. And then, um, I read an interview in the drum magazine and, and they talked, they mentioned Bonham. So I knew Zeppelin as, you know, just on the radio, but I didn't realize, you know, how great John Bonham was. And so this was probably my mid teens and I started going back. So then it was John Bonham, Mitch Mitchell, Hendrix's drummer, Ginger Baker, uh, Jerry Shirley from Humble Pie, Simon Kirk from Free, Ian Pace, Deep Purple, Mick Tucker, The Sweet, like all of those. The, and, and I think almost all those guys I mentioned were British, Cozy Powell. You know, these, these British guys that had grown up on the American rock and roll and then like the jazz thing, but they had brought it into this, this, other, this other thing and it was powerful and the amps got turned up a bit. And I love that because it has the swing, like, I don't like rock. I like rock and roll, and it's got to have the roll. And the longer, frankly, the white guys had it, it got less and less roll. You know, it was just rock. And so, but that 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 late '60s, early '70s 
thing. I really love that. Well, that was a powerful time and, and powerful music that came out of that time. And it's still, when you speak about classic rock, it's still, you know, you know, you, you know the, the vitality of the music is still alive today, you know, many years later. Yeah, it's amazing when you hear something. I was thinking about this. I, um, you know, I heard I heard Pearl. I heard a cover of Pearl Jam doing a cover of an early Who tune called "Leaving Here," which was like there were the high numbers before the Who. But I heard this. They go, "This is my new favorite band," because it had the rock and roll thing. And then they go, "That was Pearl Jam." And I said, "I guess I got to listen to Pearl Jam more." But it was a cover. But it that energy was just infused into the composition. And, and it's just, you know, a song like All Day, All the Night by the Kinks. And it just, it's just infusing. You, you could copy it today, but it, there's nothing like when you, they were there. There was just something there. So it's just a special time, you know, it's just a special time in music. You know, at that time, it was different. And today, with all the social media that we have now today, how do you balance keeping up with, uh, you know, social media and influence? How has it changed for you for where it is right now to how it was a few years ago? Well, I mean, you know, social media and the internet, I mean, those are the two greatest gifts. So when I'm talking to drummers and they're like, I don't know how to get out there and meet people, I go, dude, we were, we were 16 years old calling local bars, impersonating adults, acting like we were the managers. Yeah. And you'd call and you'd, they'd say, you know, you got to call Joe on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. And we call it 2.05 and Joe's not here. He'll be back next week. I mean, it's like, it's so challenging. So... Um, but it it's part of the job is doing social media, you know, and um, just sp devoting a certain amount of time each day to just seeing what other people are up to, giving them the love. Hey, man, congratulations. Wow, that looks amazing. You sound great. Whatever it is, putting that love out there and then letting people know what you're doing. And a lot of guys. I've talked to, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable with putting it out there because it feels like they're bragging. And I'm like, you know what? you got to flip the thinking. You're inspiring people, you know. If you're, you know, standing in front of the Taj Mahal, please post because I'll, I'll look at it and go, wow, Don was at the Taj Mahal today. That's awesome. You know, that's an exciting thing. So so really I think it's our responsibility to, to inspire each other. And as far as, um, you know, getting work, a, a large part of my my uh, revenue and my work comes from being visible on social media and having people reach out to me about recording drum tracks or producing their bands. Well, this gets into, into my next point. I mean, you really have a good reputation as being a really good person. And, you know, you're playing with, with the likes of Billy Sheehan and Ace Freely and Gene Simmons and Johnny Depp. I mean, you know, just feel like these are some great legendary people that are performing. How do you leave your ego at the door? Because, I mean, you really are just, you know, straight ahead across the board. You're just a great guy. And no matter what situation you're in, you maintain that straight level of maturity. Yeah, I think staying staying in touch with that source, whatever, you know, however someone would define that, you know. And if I feel my feet getting off the ground, I just got to keep my feet on the ground, you know. So excitement can disconnect you from your source. And so can, you know, being depressed or feeling bad about things. It's like it's right in the middle, you know. And so it kind of goes back to what I said about being humble and being of service. So if I'm getting excited about something, it's like, okay, that's cool. That's great. You know, I don't want to put the kibosh on that. But what's my job here? What am I here to do? You know, I remember when uh, 
with Mr. Big, our first tour, we played Budokan in Japan. And I had grown up Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. I'm like, I was nine years old and I go, I thought Budokan was a city actually, but I'm like, I'm going to Budokan and I'm playing there one day. I have to, you know, and here we are. And then a week before they go, oh, by the way, we're going to shoot a DVD. So there's going to be like 20 cameras on stage. And so like the night before I had a hard time sleeping and I realized two things. One, it's completely natural to be excited. Totally, totally. You know, but we often associate like that, that energy with a negative. I feel uncomfortable. It's like, well, yeah, because you've got too much adrenaline through your veins. So you feel like you're going to puke. It's not bad. <laughs> this is normal. You know what I mean? So it was like a, it, it's a normal thing to feel that. But also, okay, thinking about all this stuff and I'm all out here and I go, bring it down. Yeah. Snare. For me, one of the advantages of having a simple kit, snare, tom, 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 ride, two crashes, hat. You know how to do that? that yeah, there it is. That's your world. So don't worry about the you know 15,000 people that are going to be there. Don't worry about the cameras. Don't worry about someone watching the DVD six months from now and will they blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there I am in the Jumbotron. Don't worry about the Jumbotron. Don't worry about anything. Just hat kick snare tom you know how to do this do your job keep it simple and then when you're ready to like put the energy out there a little more cool but keep it right here just just do your gig you know how to do that and all this other stuff again when you're ready you can open up to it and take it in because it's really exciting but if, if i'm getting kind of like that just bring it down here and 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 my job as a drummer what am I here to do? I'm here to make sure that we leave no man behind. So if the singer's like, all right, you know, rock and roll on that, and the bass player's going like this on his head, I'm not going to start that song, right? I'm going to wait. I'm going to make sure everybody's cool, you know? And so that's my job to make everybody else look good. If 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 we get lost or, or you know, something happens, or some, okay, that's why I don't do a lot of fills. It's like, I'll let you know when something's going to happen. But until then, I'm just going to cruise along and then, like, give you that fill. So if someone's lost, I got to bring them back in. I got to land the plane. And so, like, if I'm focused on all that, that's plenty to do. I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about you. And then guess what? I'm going to have a good show and be about the best I can be. Well, that's a great attitude. But, you know, that's, that attitude's got to be you – know, you, you got to work on that. You have, that. That's something where you have to kind of be very aware of it. You know, that's that's – Humility combined with respect, combined with self-confidence. There's a lot of qualities in there that are very important to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty cerebral guy, so, like, I don't have to necessarily figure out everything, but I kind of got to be able to wrap my head around it, you know. And um, so in that respect, it's been helpful. Now I can also go the other way and, like, start drilling down on something. And, and if that happens, if you're watching me play and I'm just going, woo! No, no, that that's me going. No, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not. And I might do a fill just spontaneously to be like, "See ya, get out of my head," you know. And because it's it's energy, and you kind of start doing that, and then you start kind of. It's like, no, no, not happening, not happening, you know. So I would just physically kind of purge that, so that you know that can happen every once in a while. We all, I think, if if you do anything well, you're 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 probably your harshest critic. Um, but the time for that is not while you're on the field, 
you know, it's after when you sit down and you watch the game and then the coach says this here, we can do this better. So, um, yeah, but I, that happens, you know. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a good line. You know, as a, a good soldier will say, pay attention to the battle. We'll discuss the details after the battle, but stay yes. focused on the battle. And that's really what this is like. You're inside yeah. that battle. You got to totally stay focused on what you're delivering. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and really, and really pay, you know, I don't, you know, I appreciate your, your comments on my playing. Yeah. And it's about each note. That's why I don't typically play a lot of notes. I, you know, that two and four, I am like diligently just worshiping that two and four like guys like phil rudd that could just i realized when i went to see bands i'd be in a coliseum and they play stuff over the pa and every time acdc sounded better than anything else because of the space you know and it just it worked and so for me that was always the thing like let me get that together then i'll add some other stuff I haven't gotten that together, you know, I'm, I'm working on it, right? But like, you know what, I'll do some stuff at the end of the song and whatever, but to really like adhere to the that quarter note. And and I've had a shift where it was kind of like, it was, it's the one, right? It's the one. It's the two and the four, you know? It's for me, it's the two and the four. If that, uh, mm, uh, as long as that's going, because when you're clapping your hands, unless you're my mom at a wedding, she claps on the one. But, you know, you're clapping your hands on the two and the four. Like, that's the thing. that And that swing is happening. So as long as that's happened, I try and apply that into all my fills and stuff. But just the focus on on that that two and four just dropping at the same point every time, no matter what's going on. And that kind of becomes like a hypnotic thing. And that's, again, that's a handful of work right there. So that just, that, that keeps me focused, you know. But you, you sure do drive it so well, man. And it's very, when you play, it's very clear what you're playing. Hmm. There's no white noise. Every note is very clear when you're playing and you deliver it. And listen, and you're driving an, an incredible amount of energy with these great ledges that you're playing with. How do you prepare for a tune or a gig or a session? How do you prepare, you know, you know, just just you know, mentally, physically, and performance-wise? How do you prepare yourself? Well, I think the first thing is that to I've done this enough where I go, it's this is gonna go well. This is going to be great because because that thing can get going and like, you know, well, what if this and what if that? And it's like you've done this enough, right? Yeah. Always works out, right? Yep. Everyone's always really happy. Yep. Okay. So just let's know that. Let's put a pin in that. Um, you know, for session work, if I can get the music ahead of time, I'll spend time with it. I'll listen to it like a week before. And just make sure there's no curveballs, right? So if someone sends me a song and it's kind of a straight up rock thing, okay, cool. If someone sends me a song and it's a dream theater thing, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna need to to really drill down. But just to know what I'm what I'm working with ahead of time. And what I tell guys is if you got the time, especially like if it's for a tour and you've got to learn, you know, 25 songs, if you've got a couple of months, um, like just put it on. Don't even try and listen, learn it. Don't learn, don't listen to the kick pattern. Just put it on. Because if I had you sing happy birthday right now, you could sing it. Not because you've ever practiced it, you've just heard it enough. Or, you know, that commercial for that McDonald's thing, you know, you just, it's in your head. So just to get familiar with it without clamping down and trying to learn it, because that's a much different thing. And if you can just let it get absorbed into your brain, if you have the time. Now, like on session work, um, so I will listen and then I will make uh, my version of a chart. So I can read music, but if you said, hey, here's a song, okay, look through it, ready, here we go. I, I wouldn't be able to do it like that. 
I would need to kind of look. I like Troy Lucchetta when he did the Burning for Buddy thing. He had like an 18-minute piece of music, and they play, he played it, and they go, where's your chart? He goes, I don't have a chart. They go, you memorize that? And he's like, well, yeah, because that's what I do. That's how I, you know, that's how we, that's how he does this thing. So, um, but I will have a chart, you know, verse one and maybe the, the kick snare and then pre-chorus uh, chorus two. And, the, and I'll have a kind of just chart out. So even if I look at it before I track the song, um, but a lot of times, like with Ace Fraley always, and on you know the Mr. Big record, Defying Gravity, I didn't hear those songs until the studio. So I'm in the control room, and they're strumming away. And so I'm sitting there tapping on my leg, trying to match the strum, right? So my, my right hand, whether it's on a hi-hat or a, a scratch or a floor tom or whatever I'm thinking it'll be on, I'm matching that strum. And then it's always the ups and the downs. How do we start the chorus? How do we start the verse? Is it coming on and up? It's coming on a down. And then are there any stops? Kind of getting the overarching view. And then I can get an idea of like the, my arc because as the song goes along, I want to have an arc to the drumming too so that I don't want to kind of like have this pinnacle moment be in the middle of the song and it doesn't really take you all the way to the end of the track. So my job is to support the vocal and the story that's being told. Um, I try and minimalize what I do. So if I can drive straight through and go boom, bat, boom, bat, and let the guitars do the riffs around me, I will do that, right? So I don't like it. And typically, if you get a demo from a guitar player, it's like, like the kick drum does every single thing the guitar. That, to me, gets too small and kind of muso-y. I like to have it stretch out so the drums are really drilling that down and then letting the guitars do the movement around it, you know, which is more like classical music. Like sometimes sections will work together, but typically there's a there's there's just one set of instruments that are doing one thing and another one's doing something in and out of that. And then you really get a bigger thing. So um, and the other part is just to have like a sonic identity. So is there a fill I do before the second chorus that I that would be really cool? OK, maybe I'll open the song with that. If I can get away with it, here's a trick, drummers. If the if everybody's starting together, it's not a guitar riff at the beginning. If everyone's starting together and you're counting it in, just do a fill at the beginning. If they say no, okay. But if you can get away with it, you're at the top of the song, yeah. you know. So, um, but to come up with like a, a sonic identity for that song. And here's the thing: if I'm working like with Ace and Mr. Big, we went through those songs maybe three or four times. And then it's like, all right, let's go record. And then we would track it once. Maybe we've just the tempo. Hey, let's do two of these and four of these and let's cut that out and move that out. Okay. And then like two more times and we're done. So to be able to do that quickly and to have each song have its own identity, that's really my goal. But again, I just, what's the vocal? Is this a happy song? Is this a sad song? Does this sound like I love you, but it's actually very bitter and it's like a secretly F you like that will affect how I play the drums, you know, that, so I, I let kind of the information that's there guide me. Um, and for tour, just, um, all of that same stuff, but then just the physical part, just moving my arms, stretching. Um, I, I don't, I don't practice. I've never had drums at home since I, you know, moved out of my parents' house in 1980, whatever it was. Um, so I will just make sure I'm loose, stretch, and again, like my warm-up stuff is just left, right, yeah. Again, really getting the time, you know, one, two, three, four, 
One and two and three and four and dun 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 like that. That's all I do in a night in a night anyway. Like I'm not. You can only chop up the time so many different ways. So again, if I've got that groove happening, and it's funny because sometimes I'll I'll put on a click and I'll start playing and I can feel the resistance. I'm not right on it, and it's like something inside me is just going, no, we're not going to surrender. It's like I got to. Calm myself down, you know, and it's not like I'm wildly off, but I'm just like, I can't really land it right on that click, huh? All right, let me shake it out. Let's get so it's a very physical um, thing, and it's a it's a, that's 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 what I'm focused on, and then just everything else kind of flows from that. But it's like ground up. I think some of the best shows I've had is when I've been completely exhausted or angry about something, and I'm like, okay, take this aside. We got to go to work and I go out there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this show and I'm going to do a great job. But like, I'm not really happy about this right now. And then I end up because I'm, my feet are on the ground. Then I end up having an amazing show and I'm like, huh, note to self. I mean, I don't want to upset myself or exhaust myself, but there's something about that. Just being like right on the ground and take it from the ground up. Well, that, that, that's that's so great. So what so happens with, with if you're trying to balance what an artist is asking you to play or what you feel you want to play, is there a fine line between that where you might know, because it sounds like what you're looking at is the composition. You're, you're looking at the bigger picture of the composition of what you want to play. So yeah. is there a point where you, you, know, you have to kind of, that, you know, you walk on a very, very thin line for what they want. I mean, does, does Ace tell you what he wants to have or certain grooves or fills? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, that, that's part of the, the advantage of growing up listening to somebody and then working with them. Mm. So I think it just, I've seen, I know a lot of guys that, have, that, that that's happened to because you play in a way that they are used to because you're kind of subconsciously emulating the, the records that, you know, the drummers that they worked with. So, um, but logistically, yeah, like I'll, you know, Ace will have some specific ideas sometimes and other times he'll just go, yeah, that's great. Um, I never worry about me in there because the most important thing to me is the feel. And so if you just tell me, I want you to play boom, bat, boom, boom, bat through the whole song. Cool. No problem. I'm not worried. I'm going to snip. I'm going to put a flam in there at some point and give it a little something, but that I'm not worried because I'll be in there, you know, cause I got my thing. I got my feel. I'll tell you to start with this song called rocking with the boys that Ace had. And the whole song is boom, bat, boom, boom. Bat, boom, bat, boom, boom. And it was a lot of that. So I thought, okay, there's a last chorus where everyone drops out. It's just the vocals and drums. So I go, okay, I know I'm going to. Now, this is like the example. So he's playing me this song, and I'm listening to the arrangement. And then I'm going, okay, I'm going to go kick flam. I know that. But I want to put a little something in there, but not mess with that boom, bat, boom, boom. So it gets to that part. And he said before I went, he goes, just do John. Do your John thing, which means Bonham, yeah. right? Just do Bonham. I go, all right. So I do, I go, boom, brat, boom, boom, brat, boom, brat, boom, boom. Just that doesn't really fundamentally mess with it, but it gives it a little something. And he goes, we did the take. And he goes, yeah, that sounded great. But uh, that, that little skip thing you did on the bass drum. I go, oh, yeah, that was my Tony Thompson. You don't like that? He goes, we don't want Tony. We want John. <laughs> and so it was, it was too, you know, kind of funky. But 
again, that's my th- my thinking. And then he was like, no, that's not happening. I go, okay, fine. That's cool because I got my feel. But one thing I will say, you know, recording in the modern age, depending on who's producing or, or who the engineer is, and sometimes if it's an artist, you know, independent artist, they start fiddling with things and they start quantizing, which, you know, most of you guys probably know what that is. But if you don't, you know, you can take every beat and chop it and lock it into the grid so it's perfect time. And then I'm gone. So I, I've heard things back and I go, is this me? It doesn't sound like me. And so I have began in the, over the last several years to play a little more kind of fills like that kind of thing that I would normally do a less of because I, I want to do as little as I can and have the song still work. That's kind of my approach. But I do a little more. So it's like, oh, that is me. Yeah. Because my personality is my feel, but if they're going to take that out, then I then I need to do a little bit more to kind of do it. And it doesn't take much, you know. It's just again a couple of those breath boogla booms, and and I'm I'm good. Um, but that's something that's changed, you know, over over time. I mean, you know, growing up, the feel was such a thing. You'd hear somebody go, "Is that Picaro? Sounds like Picaro," you know, or is that is that bon- is that a bottom thing? You know, it, their feel. You could hear their feel and. Um, Things you know, there is no perfect in art. It really, really, really is. I had known uh, Jeff Picaro. I met Jeff back in 1976, and uh, just a, a dear friend and just a great player, and just an incredibly deep musician. He understands music very well. He could sing, you know, jazz solos emulated by Miles Davis on the recording. He could you know, just duplicate it and sing it in pitch, in key, exactly. So he has such an incredible depth of knowledge, and it seems like. That's where you're coming from. You're coming from a bigger picture of knowledge and you're pulling from that for what's right at that moment. And, you know, and if a producer tells you something different, I think it sounds like you have the personality skills in how to suggest maybe something a little different that might work out or let's just try this. It sounds like that you have that ability to be able to kind of, you know, get to that place. Yeah, I mean, just say yes is really the deal. And I think going back to the, the idea that I am an employee, like you've hired me, you're paying me to do a job and you're not paying me for my opinion. I mean, hopefully you're paying me for my experience and my, my thing that I do. Um, but I'm not, again, I'm not too worried about, about getting my, my two cents. And I remember we did the Mr. Big record and my traditional snare drum is a six and a half Ludwig black beauty with a, uh, chrome over brass hoop, uh, triple flange. And so that's great. We know that. That's the one. That's always the one. If I start with that or I, they go, what other snares? And I bring that out and then they go, oh, what's that? That's a black bee. Yeah, let's use that one. So I t- sometimes don't bring it out right away because it's going to end up being that one. So Canopus made me uh, a seven-inch um, bell brass, and it's cool. And I set that up, and the producer, Kevin Ellison, Kevin had done um, Escape by Journey and Frontiers and Street Survivor Skinner, and he'd done early Mr. Big Records. Um, he was like, mm, I don't really like that. And I'm like, Argh. I go, well, listen to it in, in the track. you know. And he was just like, nah, I don't dig it. And Pat Torpy also was like, I don't dig it. And it's, the bell brass is kind of a newer type of sound, and it's a very dead sound, but it's so cool. But they weren't having it, and I was just like, eh, all right. <laughs> still playing my black beauty it's okay you know what i mean so um yeah i just i guess i'm not that concerned about me getting my thing in there like i'm there 
that's that's it. So like, what do, what do you need me to do? That's my job, and um, yeah, that's just how I look at it. So how is it? Do you work much with a click? Have you have you had to deal with uh, with that skill of being able to work with a click to lock that in? Yeah. So all, you know, ninety percent of my session work is to click. Um, so yeah, you know, and that's um, it depends on how the record gets done. Like sometimes I'll do a record and everything else is done, and they've been playing to a drum machine, and so uh, that's one. I it has to feel right right there and i don't have that much leeway to push and pull um other times it's kind of old school where it's you know like when i record with ace we record guitar and drums together so we can the click is just a guide you know and it just depends on the artist but yeah that's absolutely a skill that's essential um and you know i tend to play a little behind the click and if we're coming up to a chorus and I can pull that pre-chorus back a hair so that when I do that fill into the chorus, I get to jump ahead and then we land right on the downbeat. Like that's it. But I've had, you know, younger guys go, you know, they don't even listen. They just go, oh, see right there. You, you can't, I go, yeah, I know. And, and I, you know, I don't say this out loud. I go, yeah, I know what I'm, I know that. I know I did that. You know what I mean? But like, so do you want it to be right on the thing? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And again, it's not dramatically, but you know the thing. You, you know, push and pull. You create that excitement. If the if the song is all one tempo, my you want that chorus to to be exciting. So I might lean on that and then fall back a little bit for the second verse. It's funny, like classic rock. Second verse falls back, not as back as the first, but a back a, a decent amount. Modern, it's like there's no fallback for the second verse. You just kind of that's it. You know, that's that's where you are. So, but yeah, click is essential. Um. I've certainly played live to a click, but with Ace Fraley, with Mr. Big, with Jolyn Turner, no click, no tracks, no guide click, nothing, just music. And I love that because it, there's a physical thing. Like I can just tell if I'm playing, you know, if it's if it's too fast or too slow. It's just you get it in your bones after you do it for uh, a few nights in a row. And look, depends on the size of the place. Like – How's the slap back off the back of the hall? Like it, it, it can breathe and be more exciting. And some nights you just need to kick it in the ass a little bit and just drill down on it a little bit. And so I like having the autonomy to do that. But for any up and coming drummer, absolutely get comfortable with that click. And look, the click is not musical, but it's never wrong. So just you go, well, it's, it, it, it was weird in this part. That was you. <laughs> you know, that was you and like i get it you want to push you want to lay back so do i but like just learn how to adhere to it and then and then you have a choice you never want to be doing something because you don't have a choice you know so if you make a choice to push or lay back cool or if you make the choice to just drill it right down the middle well that's beautiful well said man. well well said so what happens now I mean, here you are songwriting you sing you know you've got a great voice and a very real strong powerful rock voice how do you balance all that with that perspective of, and even being a multi-instrumentalist, how do that, how do you balance all of that? That was something that, you know, I played drums from a very young age and then into my twenties and I started singing and playing guitar and fronting bands. And I had a demo deal with Atlantic and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I kind of went back and forth. And when I just turned it over to the universe, God, whatever is running the show here, I, I thought I had to choose between being a singer or a drummer. And when I just said, you know what, I'm just going to be here. I'm, I have my skills and I, I'll make them available and just let people know I'm available. 
And the first thing I, I got was, was playing with Ace Frehley. And, oh, by the way, you need to sing all the Paul Stanley songs from the, from the Kiss catalog that we do. And I'm going, so the songs I've been playing air drums to since I was eight, and then singing, pretending I was the singer in the band too, I get to do both. And that just told me, stop. It's, it's important to have a clear idea of what you want to do. It's important to pursue it aggressively and, and always be moving that energy forward. But also like, you know, I would like this or something greater. Because when it comes to fruition, it's always greater than I could imagine. You know, like playing in Budokan, that would have been great enough. But we also did a DVD. So now forever it's documented. Yeah. You know, so it's always just keep, be open to the the even better option. You know, so again, I just go with it and I try not to worry about it. You know, I, like when I would go to these all-star jams and there'd be members of this band, that band, they go, what do you want to play? I go, you know what? You tell me. It's fine. Now, of course, what do I want to play? Zeppelin. You know what I mean? But like, I just would show up. I go, I'm just here to play, man. You let me know. And that attitude and that energy, it just worked better for me. So um, I think just being open to doing kind of whatever I'm I'm asked to do has, has served me well um, as, a, as a hired guy, you know? Well, it's so great that, that you're involved in all these different aspects, but you've also just producing also. Right. So how do you how do you balance that? What, what do you do with certain bands? Or how, you know, these projects, how do you how do you tweak it and how do you work materials so it really kind of works into the sound that you're looking for? Yeah, again, that's another scenario where it's like my job is to get that their music to be the most them it can be. Right. So my favorite records are always the the bands that just they had the most them sounding record right so um so i'm here to facilitate as a word a rather sophisticated word i like to use you know to help them facilitate so like you what's the vision for this what's your message what's the goal what are you trying to do say okay then let's 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 uh have that be infused into everything we do every word you know how we approach the sounds how we approach the tones you know um i mostly work with bands i like working with bands Bass players are different from drummers, are different from singers, are different from guitar players. And the morale is the number one thing. Um, the rule I have that I learned from when I was back, you know, being a band member in bands is if someone suggests something, it's way easier and way less time consuming to just try it rather than to explain to them why their idea sucks and it's a waste of time. Plus, you're going to make them feel bad. And most times, if it's not a good idea, the first guy to say that is, is the guy who came up with it. You know, hey, what about this? Well, hey, let's try it. Well, I don't know. No, let's just try it. Ready? Here we go. Try it. And then after the guy who came up with it goes, nah, it sucks. Forget it. Sorry. Thanks for trying, though, guys. So uh, the morale is really important. And um, and some bands, you know, I get involved in the writing, um, get involved in the arranging, uh, talk about, you know, what the bass is doing, kick patterns and stuff. Other bands, it's like, no, I, I just need to capture this. I just need to accurately document. And the thing I always hear is like, it never sounds on recording the way it feels live. So how do I make that happen for them? How do we, you know, and that's just more technique of producing and mixing as far as like getting it to, to sound and feel that, that power and energy that they have when it's live, but also be a, a something they can listen to again and again and again. Nice. Just if you would just talk briefly about negotiating and rates and some advice to give people on how do you 
How do you work the value of who you are for what you're doing? How do you find that balance? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you asked me that because that's such an important thing. Um, so uh, first of all, don't say I don't care about the money. Stop saying that. If you say that, don't ever say that. Oh, the money's not important. I just want to play. It's important. They're both important. And one doesn't negate the other. So, you know, I believe it was some king centuries ago who hired some jester. And then the jester was like, I'd like to get compensated. And the king questioned his commitment to comedy because he wanted to get paid for his time. Right. So that continues to this day where. You know, if you want to get paid or you want to get paid a certain amount, you must not be really be a musician. And that is a lie. And the only people that propagate that are people that don't want to pay you or other musicians who are broke. Okay, so just those are some things that are really important as far as like the self-worth thing. Like, how do you know your worth? I, I have my rates, you know, but whether in my heart the worth is there, I think that's that set a rate sheet, create a rate sheet, set your rate and, and get a good rate that makes you uncomfortable. Cause that's how, you know, it's, it's, it's good. And your self-worth some days I feel worthy. Some days I don't, but the longer I do this, uh, it's just business. And, but if you wait for yourself to feel worthy or have self-esteem, and I'm not even sure what that is. I mean, I know what technically what that is, but do I have self-esteem? If you are in my head, you might not think so, you know what I mean? But I'm what I'm here to do and take the action. So as far as negotiating, some guys go, hey, like, hey, can you play on this record? Okay. And then they go, what's the budget? I, 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 I think that's okay, but I'm not comfortable with that. I think if you set a rate that is really, really good, you are you, I've, I've never had a time where I – quoted a rate and then they like tech, they would have paid me a lot more than that. Right. So have your rate, tell them what you want, you know, Oh, to do that. Um, you know, my rate would be this. Now, if they just disappear, like you scare them away, they, they weren't going to pay you anything close to that. If they were going to, if they had a budget and they're serious about working with you and you know, there's some, there's a little bit of difference between it. They're going to say, hey, you know, that's cool. You deserve that. But can you do this? Right. So don't worry about scaring people away. And here's the other bit is we're so afraid to quote a rate because we're going to scare away this client. But the truth is there's a client out there that has the money to pay your rate and would gladly pay it. And if you keep like, you know, being concerned with the person that can't pay your rate, you're never going to meet the person who can. And there's somebody out there right now who's doing what you're doing. Half as good, making twice as much. Mm-hmm. Now look, if you you have you're in charge of your integrity, you're in charge of your your skill sets. Just because you get more money doesn't mean that you're not bringing it. So why not why not make more money? Why not receive more for your time? And the last bit I'll say too, I do this with my coaching work is like, okay, what's your current rate? It's this. Okay, that's way too low. Let's double it. And they're like, no, I can't, I can't. You know, there's a local guy and he's been charging this for years. I go, we're not in business, we're not competing with the local guy. You're 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 working with the world here. And so, like, when you get that rate, okay, it's a little uncomfortable. Cool. So who do you need to be to be worth every single penny of that? You know, what do you need to do to just give them? Not just a drum track, if we're talking to drummers, 
It's an experience. And that's from the beginning. Hey, Matt, what's up, bro? Are you available to record on my songs? I saw your post. Get right back to them. David, thanks for reaching out. I would love to hear your music. Absolutely. Can you tell me more about the project? Like it's the customer service again. I don't want to make it unmusical, but like how you treat that person, you're giving them an experience. And so how do you do that? How do you give them an experience that's worth every single penny? Um, I think those are some kind of some good kind of guidelines. Great point, Matt. Great, great point. People are listening, and, and uh, we've got people from all around the world that are tuned in. Let's do a quick question. I want to bring a quick question in. Sure. Let's happen here. Uh, from Ryan Hayson, if someone doesn't meet your rate, would you still take the gig depending on what it was? So that's a great question, Ryan. Thanks for asking. Um, there's So you de define value in all different ways, right? So financial is value, right, too. But Maybe there's an experience. Maybe you're going to get to go to a place in the world that you've never been to. Or maybe you're going to get to work with somebody that you really want to work with. Now, if you continually do this, then I would be suspicious. But to answer your question, yeah, there are some scenarios where I've I've made the choice. But it was never like I felt like I had to and it wasn't out of fear of, of losing gigs. Um but there's been some people that I've played with like locally in Los Angeles and um, it, it just, the experience is awesome and it gives me something that no other situation gives me um, again. But Ryan, your first question is about taking less money. So just that, that's a, that right there is like, a little bit of a, of a red flag as far as like, but you can take less than your rate of, and eh, let's not lead with that question though. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to push you to take your full rate all the time. But again, yes. And, and look, I've done a lot of charity events. Like you mentioned, Dom, like playing with, you know, we did a one where Gildy Clark from GNR was the musical director and it was mending kids and everybody donated their time. And I played with Gene Simmons and Johnny Depp and Gilby. Does that have value? Yes. For the cause, for the guys I'm playing with, for the, for the experience. So absolutely yes. But don't look for ways to take less money. Look for ways to make yourself uncomfortable and quote that rate. Boy, beautiful. Well said again. So tell me about the upcoming tour now. What are you guys going to be doing? Yeah, so uh, Ace Fraley going out with Alice Cooper. Um, we are out for about five weeks. Starts in the middle of September. They're all U.S. dates. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, Ace and Alice have a history. Kiss and Alice Cooper goes way back to the mid-early 70s. Um, I have not done any of the dates. Like, they've played together in the past, and I haven't done any of these shows. So I'm looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, it's going to be great. And I'm friends with, you know, pretty much all the guys in Alice's band. But it'll be nice to just be on the road and hang out with some different folks. And, hey, you want to get a coffee today? Yeah, all right, let's go do that. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, that'll be nice just to kind of hit the road and, and socialize, get back to this socializing and performing. This yeah. The time that we're living in right now and uh, the fact that you're going to hit the road, that is absolutely excellent. If you get at all into the East Coast area here, please let me know. I want to come out and check it out because it would be exciting to hear you play live for sure. Now, tell me about Vader Power 5B model. You know, well, the, when I was looking for a drumstick, um, I played all the other brands, and I'm not going to mention any other brands, but they would all at some point 
just break in a weird way for a random reason, like a rim shot or on the bell of the ride, just like explode on me. And so like what happened is I got, I just, I got nervous. I was like, I need a brand that's going to just be rock solid. Invaders wood is the best wood in the business. I've said this to Chad so many times. Um, you know, I hit rim shots on, on all of my drums at different points, but always that snare drum. And man, I would, they would just start getting split, 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 but they won't break. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm cheap or just I'm honoring the stick and I don't want to end it before it's time. But like these things are just indestructible. And for me, specifically on the Power 5B, I want gravity to do the work, right? So I don't want to do more work than I have to. And uh, I chose this stick because I needed a stick that had the power, but also I could basically do 30-second note rolls uh, if I needed to. And if I went bigger than that, I was like, it's a little hard, and this one was perfect. The taper's gray, and that acorn on the end is really powerful. And so I love these sticks, and uh, they've been so good and um, super consistent, and I, I love them. Well, to watch you playing and to have that that piece of Vader wood in your hands and you able to drive the bands that you're in as with this upcoming tour, it'll be exciting to see you put those those Power 5 Beasts into action. I can't wait. <laughs> I got to get my calluses back. It's like I, I have like no – well, I got a little thing there, but I got normal hands now, <laughs> you know. So we got to – we got to that, – that will be tour preparation, you know. I'm sure by the time you hit the road, it's going to be back in action 100% of the time. So, Matt, I thank you so much for joining me here for the Vado Company. This is so great to have this opportunity. You are really out there making a difference, and you really are driving the force. And as a great leader in the drumming community, I thank you so much for the excitement that you're producing, the great music you're producing, and the enthusiasm when you hit those drums. You really deliver it. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody, and uh, hopefully some stuff I've said is has inspired you guys. Absolutely fantastic, Matt. Thank you so much. And thank everybody for joining us. This is incredible. We've had some great, great people join us here. We'll see you all next week. Bring it on. We'll have some fun. Matt Starr, thank you so much. Stay well and be safe. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye.